Well, as uh, Ryan mentioned, we had a, um, a wonderful uh, leadership retreat over the weekend at uh, Tina Marie's house. And uh, 30 leaders uh, gathered from our church staff and elders and ministry leaders. And, and we just shared our lives together and we connected and we looked at God's vision for our church and how we can faithfully live that vision out uh, in the coming year. That's what we've been talking about on these Sundays, uh, these messages that we've called Vision on the Move, because vision is never static. It's always a growing, multiplying, becoming kind of thing. And these last weeks, we've looked at several parts of our vision. Uh, The first that we looked at was New Life in Christ, and that's the beginning of everything that we do here at Hope. Uh, we We want that We want each and every one of you to experience new life in Christ, and we try and share that good news every week. But beyond that, we want every person that we know and every person in our sphere of influence, every person that we come in contact to know the good news of God's love as well. So new life in Christ is the cornerstone, is the heartbeat of our vision. But then we go on further and we talk about what does it mean to connect? What does it mean to grow? What does it mean to serve? And we've looked at those Uh, First to the last couple of weeks, connecting is not just about connecting with God, as important as that is, but it's about connecting with each other. And it's about connecting with the world around us, especially those that we don't know, that we uh, maybe will know in the future. People that we make a connection with because we're intentional about really moving into their lives in a loving, godly way. Connecting with people so that we can be free to love the unlovely. To embrace the unembraceable and to give hope to the hopeless. That's really what connecting with God is about, is being able to extend that overflowing love and grace to others. And then last week we talked about growing. We cannot faithfully serve Jesus unless we're constantly pressing into his word, pressing into his love, understanding in a deeper way, Ephesians 3, in a deeper way, his love that has so deeply entrenched in us, rooted deep inside of us, his love that is wide and long and high and deep. When you know that deep within you, that's when your life starts growing and you become, and you're becoming, because we don't always become, but you're becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ. So new life in Christ is the heartbeat of our vision, connecting with each other and with God, uh, growing in our faith. And today we're looking at the last part of our vision, which is serving. And let me just remind you again of how we can express our vision. And I've tried to express it a different way each week, but here's another way we can express our vision. We are formed by God's word, called by the spirit of God to connect, grow and serve. Empowered to share the good news of God's love in order to reach one more for Jesus. In 2002, on the 25th anniversary of the death of Elvis Presley, his um, album of greatest hits was the number one selling album in the world in 2002, 25 years after his death. Now, in spite of the enormous success that Elvis had, and all of us remember Elvis, even if you're younger, you maybe not, you didn't see him, but you know of him. Elvis was, according to his friends and family, a very unfulfilled and unhappy man. He died of obesity and drug dependency at age 42. And in an interview with his wife, Priscilla, 
She said this about her husband, and I quote, Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a reason. Maybe to preach. Maybe to serve. Maybe to save. Maybe to care for people. That agonizing desire was always with him, and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage, and he wouldn't have to think about it. End quote. I mean, Elvis, according to Priscilla, didn't have a clue about his purpose for life. Was it to preach? Was it to serve? Was it to care for people? He didn't really know. Now, what we've been talking about these past three weeks is finding God's purpose for our lives. What does it mean to have new life in Christ? What does it mean to connect with God and others? What does it mean to grow in our faith? And what does it mean to serve others? One of the things that Elvis said was that maybe his purpose on life was to serve other people. Well, there's a wonderful uh, verse in the Bible, and I'd like us to read that together out loud. It's from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and this describes really our purpose for serving. So uh, let's read that word together out loud. We are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, we are created to make a contribution, not just be a consumer. We are created to know that it doesn't matter how long we live, but how we live our lives. How do we live the dash between the date of our birth and the date of our death? Yesterday, Pastor Corey uh, preached at the memorial service for Bonnie, and she talked about how Bonnie lived her dash you know, between her birth and her death and how she lived faithfully and how so many people loved her and how she loved her Savior. The Bible says that we are created to serve. We're, gr- we're gifted to serve. We look most like Jesus when we serve. In 1 Peter, it says these words, each one should use whatever gift he has received. Did you know that you've all received gifts of the Spirit? Each one should use whatever gift he's received to serve others. We are created to be servants. Now, sometimes I like us to be an interactive church, right? And I know some of you hate this. Some of you engineer types like me. So I get to do it, you know, from up here and and make you uncomfortable like I would be. So here's your interactive church experience for today. Group participation. I want you to turn to each other and say, I am a servant. Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. (laughs) I heard somebody say, you are a servant. You missed the point of what I was trying. You totally blew that, you know. But here's what Jesus said. Your attitude must be like my own. For I did not come to be served, but to serve. I mean, that's amazing to me. Now, I would like to, again, uh, do a little interactive thing. So if you have, in the past or presently, uh, served on the Navajo team or on the leadership team or missions team, or you are part of the landscape team, or you teach children and youth, which you probably don't because otherwise you'd be over there, uh, or if you are part of a leading a grow group, or if you are part, an elder, or you teach, or you pass out bulletins, or you usher, or you make coffee, or you make cookies, or you do any of those serving things, 
and don't be embarrassed like Karen Fouts. You know, don't be like Karen Fouts. I want you to stand up where you are. All of those categories and any others that I didn't mention that you serve the Lord in. Now, I know you. And there's more than that. But keep standing. I know. Yeah, I know. Okay. Thank you. And can we all tell you thank you for serving us so faithfully and so wonderfully? Thank you. You can be seated. We, 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 I believe we have the greatest people in the world at our church. And they serve with an open heart. They serve not a boomerang kind of, you know, boomerang serving is. It's where you, you throw a good work out there and you hope it'll come back to you. We, we have people that serve sacrificially and they serve for the love of Jesus. And they serve like Jesus did. Because he recognized that he didn't come to be served, but to serve. What does it take to have a heart to serve like Jesus? Well, it, it takes three things, and I want to share those things with you today. The first thing that it takes to serve like Jesus is serving like Jesus means to be available. One day Jesus was walking down the road to Jericho and some blind men, uh, two blind men started yelling at him and uh, calling out to him and listen to this exchange between these two blind men and Jesus. Two blind men shouted, Lord, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them what do you want me to do for you? He asked. Now, there's a lot of good words in that verse. What do you think the key word is in that sentence? Stopped. Jesus couldn't minister to anybody unless he stopped. And you can't stop unless you have margins in your life. Unless you have time margins and financial margins and ministry margins, you can't stop unless you have those kind of margins in your life. One of the great stories in the Bible, and I won't take time to read it, but many of you know it. If you're new to church or the Bible or Christianity, you've probably heard of this story as well. The story of the Good Samaritan is found in the Gospels, specifically Luke 10. Uh, Jesus was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho or not Jesus, but a man was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this man was set upon by robbers, and they beat him up, and they stole all of his, his, earthly, his worldly goods. So uh, he's lying there, bleeding, half dead, the Bible says, and along comes a priest. Now the priest, highly educated, very faithful to God, loves God, obviously, uh, has given his life in servants to God, but he's busy. And he's got priestly things to do, whatever that was. And he had to go and do stuff that priests do. And, and when he saw this man laying on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, he simply stepped over him because he just didn't have time to stop. And then a little bit later, a Levite comes along. Now, a Levite was someone who was also a religious leader. So he had education, he had faith, he was committed to God, and he also stepped over this man because well, he was important. He had things to do and places to go. He just didn't have time to stop. But then a third man came along. He was a Samaritan. Not a priest. Not educated. A Samaritan was a half-breed. Half-Jewish, half-pagan. And this half-breed stopped. The Bible says that he literally poured oil and wine on him, which is very expensive. He nursed him to health best he could. He took him to an inn, said, you take care of this man, and I'll come back later and make sure he's okay and pay for his care. And then Jesus asked the question, which of these three men were his neighbor? 
Which of these three men were the person that is most like Jesus? The religious guys? The guys that knew a lot of stuff? The guys that were in church every Sunday? Who was your neighbor? We have to learn how to stop if we want to serve other people. It says in Proverbs 3, these words, Never tell your neighbor your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. A couple of weeks ago, um, uh, we were home. It was an evening, and Sherry just disappeared. Now, I knew it wasn't the rapture because I would have figured that I would have gone too. She just, she was gone. And, and so, well, about 30 minutes later, she came back, and she was over at our neighbor's house, Latanya, and they were just talking about God and about things, and well, Sherry had time. Now, I, I had things to do. I had to watch a basketball game. You know, I had important things to do. Sherry was just gone. And never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now. Here was uh, one of John Wesley's favorite mottos. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, by all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Isn't that a great quote? My friends, this is the definition of greatness. Putting yourself below someone else's needs at a given moment. And that's what it means to serve people with a heart like Jesus. Be available. Now, there's some barriers to being available. Okay, let me tick a couple of those off. One barrier to being available is self-centeredness. Philippians 2.4 says, Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. Sometimes we just have to forget ourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. The, the number one enemy of compassion, I believe, is busyness. The number one enemy of compassion, I don't believe, is a lack of compassion. I know in my own life, the times that I've been too busy, I didn't have a lack of compassion. I really had compassion. I really wanted to help somebody. I just didn't have the time. I didn't have the margin. So I, I believe we have to really check into what it means for us to be busy. Uh, Sometimes we um, uh, put a sign on our hearts that says, do not disturb, but that sign has to come off of our hearts. Some people say, I can't tell you how many of you have told me, well, Pastor Dwayne, I I didn't call you because, well, I just think you're too busy. Well, if I give that impression, forgive me. If I can't help you, if I can't minister to you, I'll find somebody that can But don't you ever hesitate to call me or Brandon or Corey or Brian or Barb or anyone on our staff. Pastor Ryan, we're all available. And if we can't get to you now, we'll make sure that somebody does. We need to be available. And we need to be able to give our time and our attention to people who need us. There's another barrier to not serving and not stopping, and that's perfectionism. Now, I know for some of you, I just crossed the border from preaching to meddling, and I apologize for that, but you know who you are, perfectionists. If I can't do it well, I won't do it at all. Okay, if I can't be perfect in serving somebody, if I can't be a perfect musician, if I can't be a perfect teacher, if I can't be a perfect toddler carrier or baby holder or coffee maker, then I won't do it. There's a Greek word for that. And it's called hogwash. Actually, that's not a Greek word. That's, that, that's my word. But, uh, but, but, but you know what? I'm saying God wants us to give the gifts that we have and to use them for His glory. 
Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Isn't that great? If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. So the other night, I think it was when Sherry was over visiting our neighbor, I was surf, channel surfing, and I came across a show I'd never seen before. It's called The Middle. How many of you know The Middle? Okay, Patricia, Heesh, uh, Patricia Heaton, who I liked from Raymond days, uh, she's in that show, and she's a mom of three kids and everything. But she was going to go over and visit a new neighbor. And uh, so she didn't have anything to take the neighbor, so she took out a bag of potato chips and put some on a paper plate and covered it with uh, saran wrap. And her husband said, what are you doing? He said, well, I don't have anything to take the neighbors, so I'm just going to take this. He said, that's a ridiculous gift. Don't give them that gift. I mean, they'll, they'll think you're a weirdo. Well, she went ahead. She gave him the gift. And sure enough, the husband's in watching a football game. He said, this is the best gift anybody's ever given me. You know, was it a perfect gift? Absolutely not. Was it kind of a ridiculous gift? Yeah, kind of it was. Was it the right gift? Oh, it sure was. Don't wait until, like the little boy who came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what can I offer you? Here's my five loaves and my two fish. And Jesus took that meager, ridiculously small lunch and he fed 5,000 people with it. God can take your meagerness, your small gift of service and make it into a miracle and do something amazing with it. So you perfectionists out there, don't be a perfectionist when it comes to serving. Just serve with an open heart. Now, there's a third barrier to uh, this idea of being available, and it's materialism, as you would expect. No servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. People that have no financial margins give up the ability to be generous. I, I know, you know, most of you I know really well, and I don't know your financial situations, but I've had people tell me, I feel really badly that I can't uh, give to that uh, World Vision a child last Sunday from the Congo. Or I feel badly that I can't tithe on a regular basis. Or I can't, and, and I understand that. I've been in that position in my life. But you know what we have to do? We have to work towards something that God desires for us. And that's that we have margins in life. Time margins. Ministry margins. Financial margins. One of the great things that I love about Sherry and I, we're always on the same page as this. We always try to have financial margins every single month in our checking account in case a need arises in church or somewhere else and we just want to give to it. We want to be generous. Sometimes this barrier is debilitating. I don't think that people are really have a lack of generosity. I really don't. I think almost every one of you that I know have a great capacity to be generous. You just don't have the financial margins. God wants us to fix that. And that's something each and every one of us can do. We're going to have a Financial Peace University class coming up in the spring. And if you're interested in finding biblical ways to be financially free and to be generous, I recommend that class to you. Well, there's a second way that uh, we can serve like Jesus served. And that means being grateful. Why do you serve God? Do you serve God because you want people to tell you thank you? That's not a bad response. But I want to serve God out of a, a heart of, of deep gratitude. Gratitude for what God has done for me. Gratitude for what God has done for my family, for my church, for the people I love. And I'm not talking about things. I'm talking about relationships and 
joy in the Lord and those kinds of things. I want to serve the Lord out of a, a deep sense of gratitude. Psalm 100, verse, chapter 100, verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. And in 2 Timothy 1.19 we read, It is He who saved us and chose us for His holy work. Not because we deserved it, but because that was His plan. You see, the grace that is in my life, the forgiveness that I've experienced, the love that I have from Jesus, none of it is deserved. Not one ounce of it is deserved. I don't deserve any of that. But God just lavishes that stuff on me all the time. And when I recognize that deep love, again, back to Ephesians 3, that deep love that is rooted in me, that deep love that is wide and long and deep and high, that deep, when I recognize that, my only response to that is, Father, how can I serve you? How can I be a faithful servant? How can I show somebody else your love for Jesus Christ? I remember in the spring of 2000, I had just been told by the board of ministry of our denomination that I can go back into the ministry. I'd been out of the ministry for three years because of a gambling addiction. And the denomination said, we feel that you've had enough healing in your life that you're free to go back into ministry. And I never thought that they would let me do that. I was just trying to do what they were recommending me to do. But they told me that I could go back into ministry. Now, at this point, I hadn't received any contacts from Hope or any other church. But I was just so deeply grateful that God was going to allow me to be a pastor again. When I'd screwed up so big, when I'd messed up so terribly, and God was still going to give me another chance to be a pastor again. I was driving, I was working for Quicksilver as a a courier, and I was driving, and this song came on the radio about the rivers of mercy and oceans of grace, and I had to pull off of the freeway because the tears and the gratitude was so great and so big in my soul. So let me say this to you, Hope Covenant Church. For these last 12 years, my service to God and my service to you and my pastoral care for you and doing, even though I'm very imperfect, everything I've tried to do for you, that has not come out of sense of anything else but a deep sense of gratitude for what Jesus has done for me. And for each of you, you can experience that as well. A deep sense of humility and gratitude. We don't do good deeds to show how wonderful we are. We do acts of service because God is wonderful to us. So serving like Jesus means being available. It means being grateful. And finally, serving like Jesus means being faithful. Look at this next verse in your outline. The one thing required of servants is that they be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2 The word faithful has a lot of nuances, but one of the nuances of the word faithful is this. Just show up. Sometimes in marriage, when every one of us that have been married have suffered really hard times and difficult times, and uh, many marriages don't survive that, but a person that is faithful in their marriage, sometimes it's just a matter of showing up. Just taking one more step, trying one more time, doing one more act of forgiveness, one more thing to do. Just show up. That's what being faithful is. Now, next Saturday, we're going to do a Be the Church Saturday. And I hope that most of you have margins of time. And I know some of you don't because of kids, sports, and all of that. But that you have margins of time to show up. 
And we've got 14 different things we're going to do. Some of them are very simple. Uh, babysitting kids here at the church so that parents with uh, children can go and do other things. That's available. There's going to be a tea uh, party done for a red hat group going to a rest home. So if you don't want to do physical labor, those kinds of things, there's those options. But then there's a lot of options to go and tear stuff down and build stuff up and stuff that you guys love. You know, you, boy, I can't wait. And so here's what I'm saying. Just show up. Sign up and show up. We'll feed you breakfast. We'll feed you lunch. Just show up. Be faithful. Do a work of service. It's so exciting to do that. It's so amazing when we allow God to use us and to minister through us and to show up. And sometimes that showing up is showing up in somebody's life. A person that's going through a hard time, you just show up. A person that doesn't know Christ and maybe their life is broken, you just show up and you minister to them, you love them, and maybe you'll be able to tell them your story of faith. You just show up. Let's be honest, most of the things that we do in life don't really matter that much. Most of what we do on a given week isn't going to matter at all next week, right? Let alone the next year or eternity. But any time you serve in Jesus' name, no matter how small, it matters. 1 Corinthians 15:58 says, Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. Do you believe that? And I believe that with all my heart. Even a cup of cold water in His name. And, and let's don't get confused something. Let's don't confuse significance with prominence. A prominence and significance are never the same thing. Uh, my lack of hair or your big nose or your stubby fingers may be prominent, but it's not significant. Similarly, if I lost my liver or my heart, although they are not prominent, it is significant. But that's why Jesus said, the last shall be first and the first shall be left. Now, there are a lot of prominent gifts and ways to serve in the church. Being on the worship team, being a preacher, being a teacher, uh, being a small group leader. All of these are prominent ways of serving the Lord, but there are so many more significant ways to serve the Lord that are not prominent. Cleaning the church. Caring. Who was out front. Yesterday we had uh, a, a, a landscape team sweeping all the front. Well, by morning, or, you know, by morning, well, even last night, there was all kinds of leaves and everything all over the patio again. And so Andrew Wolf is here last night, so he sweeps it again. <laughs> and we just find people ways of caring and sweeping and trimming and babysitting and changing diapers and making cookies. None of that prominent, all of it significant. Let me give you a little quiz. Do you know the name of the person or persons who greeted you this morning? Now, they're trained to ask you your name. You need to be trained to ask them their name, right? So who today, this is a quiz, is caring, or teaching, caring for or teaching your children? How about the musicians on stage? Do you know their names? The leaders that are teaching our youth? The youth coaches that are up at camp in Prescott with our kids? How about, do you know the people, the names of the people who are running lights and sound and PowerPoint, who cleaned the church last night after a late funeral, who set up the chairs, made coffee, restocked the bathroom, swept the front patio, worked on the landscape team, worked at Streetlight, Navajo. Do you know the names of those people? The truth is that these tasks were all done by anonymous volunteers, and each one is done in service to God and with a heart for God.
real servants do every task as if it really matters because it does. So one day you're going to stand before God and He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the talents, the abilities, the time, the experiences, the money that I gave you? How did you spend your life? How did you live the dash? If we want to look like Jesus and serve, then we need to hear these words and hear them well from Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You know, family, more than anything, God wants us to be able to stand before him and say and hear those words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You weren't perfect. You messed up often. But you showed up. And you did your best. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And some of you might be saying, well, I haven't done that very well in my life. Well, it's never too late to begin today. You know, I began this message talking about one of my favorite singers, Elvis Presley. A curious fact about Elvis is this. The only Grammy Award he won for an album, for an entire album, out of the 250 albums that he made, many of them sold tens of millions, was a religious album that he recorded called He Touched Me in 1959. My mom used to play that album over and over and over and over and over again, ad infinitum. And here's some of the words from the title song, He Touched Me. After the lightning and thunder, after the last bell has rung, I want to bow down before Jesus and hear him say, well done, my son. He is my reason for living. He is my king of kings. I long to be his possession. He is my everything. Would you bow your heads, please?